Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Aviva Richman. Let's listen. Unfinished Reconciliation, the Indirect Apology. Back in Parshat Breshit, at the beginning of the Torah, we saw the ultimate brotherly betrayal, unresolved fratricide. As we saw at the beginning of our weekly learning together this year, the murder of Hevel by Cain may not be an event we can push to the side as a marginal act of a deranged criminal. Instead, we traced an arc in Sefer Breshit where we might all claim this murderer as our patriarch, this fratricide as a formative part of our very own lineage. As we come to the end of Sefer Breshit, Yosef and his family are reunited and we might hope to find, for the first time, meaningful resolution and reconciliation between brothers. Instead, we discover communication gaps, accompanying persistent guilt and fear. What can we learn from this messy approach to reconciliation and forgiveness? After Yaakov dies, the brothers come before Yosef and explicitly allude to their wrongdoing, asking for Yosef's forgiveness. They do so first in Yaakov's name and then subtly in their own. Ana, sana, pesha achecha, vachatatam, kiraagmalucha, vata sana lefesha avde elokeavicha. Apparently, quoting their father's words, they say, Please forgive the sin of your brothers and their guilt, for they dealt you ill. And then in their own voice, But now forgive the sin of the servants of the God of your father. At face value, this sounds like the textbook direct apology that we were taught to do in kindergarten. Tell the person what you did wrong, acknowledge how it affected them, ask for forgiveness. And it seems to work. Yosef cries, reassures them, and speaks to their heart. But reality is never that clean. Apologies can be hard and messy with a lack of real closure. Even in this case, we see that the brothers' apology is actually indirect in two respects. Firstly, they refer to the hurt they caused, but not in their own voice. Instead, they act as a third party to relate their father's words. Even though we never saw Yaakov say anything like these words, they could very well be lying about what Yaakov said, perhaps to garner sympathy, or just so that they don't have to directly admit their wrongdoing. When they themselves speak, they avoid talking about Yosef's hurt entirely, instead referring to a vague sin, Pesha. They cannot bring themselves to say a full apology directly to Yosef, namely, this is what we did that hurt you. We are sorry. Please forgive us. When we do get a glimpse into their own perspectives, we see that they are motivated by fear that Yosef hates them and will take revenge, not operating from a position of true reconciliation. Furthermore, as they speak to Yosef, waiting for him to respond, they suddenly offer themselves as slaves. They seem hysterical and irrational, not in a position of being ready for renewed connection. They can't seem to imagine the possibility of a relationship with Yosef based on mutual trust. Similarly, Messi's Yosef's perspective, while he does comfort them trying to show how everything worked out for the best, he doesn't exactly say they are undeserving of punishment. Imagine if you went to apologize to someone and they said, am I in place of God? In other words, I can't punish you for what you did, but the implication is that God certainly can. This indirect apology interlaced with ongoing fear and guilt and gaps in communication 
is not the messiest apology in the Torah. If anything, for all its flaws, it is the most direct form of an apology we encounter. And yet, when the Mishnah looks for a paradigm of what forgiveness looks like, it leaves aside Yosef and his brothers and lands on an even more unideal scene of attempted reconciliation in the story of Avraham and Avimelech much earlier in Breshit. In a chapter all about compensating a victim for personal injury, the Mishnah in Bavakama teaches that even if one goes through the motions of making amends with money, forgiveness is not achieved, quote, until he asks from him, presumably the offender, asking the offended person for forgiveness. To prove this point, the Mishnah oddly turns to the interaction between Avraham and Avimelech, after Avimelech's abduction of Sarah, when he is stricken with a plague and seeks healing. This story seems like a terrible motto for teshuva and forgiveness in the wake of an interpersonal conflict. Avimelech doesn't admit wrongdoing, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, and Avraham never forgives. Avimelech justifies his own behavior and accuses Avraham of wrongdoing, and then essentially throws a lot of money in Avraham's face. Avram becomes defensive, justifying his own behavior, though ultimately he does pray for Avimelech to be healed. This story hardly seems like a pristine example of remorse and forgiveness and the principle, that one should seek forgiveness. Perhaps bringing us to this text, such an ill-fitting proof of the principle of directly asking for forgiveness and also completely ignoring the actual injured party, who is Sarah, is a way of pointing to the messy reality of reconciliation. Apologies are never neat. Relationships aren't so simply rebuilt. Bygones aren't so simply gone. It is actually incredibly difficult to offer or accept a direct apology. As kids and adults alike, we can feel our voices disappear when we try to get out these words. To emphasize these complexities, the Mishnah turns to perhaps the most extreme example in the Torah of relationships ruptured and forgiveness elusive. We find a totally different lesson about reconciliation in how the Tosefta reads the story of Avraham and Avimelech in a parallel text to our Mishnah. Instead of teaching us about direct apology, which is entirely absent in the text, the story teaches that even if the offending party has not asked for forgiveness, the offended party must still request mercy from God on behalf of the offender. Now the proof text of Avraham and Avimelech makes perfect sense. Avraham prayed on behalf of Avimelech even though Avimelech never apologized. The proof text works. But the message sounds ludicrous. Can you imagine praying on behalf of someone who has harmed you if they have not asked for forgiveness? We might be inclined to marginalize this Tosefta as a reflection of something like an early Christian approach along the lines of pray for thine enemies. But if we accept it as part of our tradition, which it is, it suggests that we may need to totally re-envision how we think about the ways reconciliation and forgiveness do and don't work. Maybe there needs to be a third party who plays a role in what is so often the indirect process of teshuva and forgiveness. For Yosef's brothers, this third party was their deceased father, Yaakov. 
for Avram and Avimelech, and maybe for us, that third party could be God or someone else. What if prayer is actually critical in the inner work of real conflict transformation? Whatever words I may or may not manage to audibly mouth towards another person, the real process of interpersonal forgiveness involves my ability to want the best for another person. Being able to pray sincerely on behalf of someone who has harmed me or for someone whom I harmed reflects a deep internal shift in how I relate to that person. When we embrace the mess of Sefer Breshit that has so much unresolved conflict, we can be inspired to expand our views of reconciliation and forgiveness, knowing that prayer, what we can voice internally, may be an important part of interpersonal forgiveness. We have more capacity to see imperfect closure like that of Yosef and his brothers as sincere, even if unfinished. Yosef seeks compassion for his brothers, invested in their well-being, even as we have no idea if he has actually forgiven them. The brothers feel terribly guilty about what they did to Yosef, even if it is too overwhelming for them to explicitly voice their remorse to Yosef directly, knowing the indirect and stilted forms reconciliation often takes. We can hopefully approach unresolved wrongdoing in a way that catalyzes rather than stifles our ability to work towards relationships centered on compassion and dignity. Shabbat Shalom. This episode of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg and edited by Evan Feist. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It has been a pleasure to learn with you.